The tax delay heads to the Senate. Reluctance to say yes or no on the casino issue and the chances of prescription pot in Ohio. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, William Hershey, State House Bureau Chief for the Dayton Daily News. Julie Carr-Smythe, State House Correspondent for the Associated Press. Michael Daniels, co-publisher of Outlook Magazine, and Mark Weaver, Republican strategist. Call it a tax cut delay, call it a tax hike. The plan to balance the state budget is in Republican hands. The Democratic Ohio House approved the delay in the last phase of the income tax cut. It now goes on to the Republican-controlled Senate. Perhaps the biggest surprise was that two Republican House members, Matthew Dolan of Northeast Ohio and Ross McGregor of Springfield, voted for the governor's plan. Bill Hershey, there you have it, bipartisanship. Yes, I think that will have to pass for bipartisanship now, and probably both of them will be thrown into outer darkness by their Republican colleagues, although I don't really think so. I don't think there will be too much bipartisanship right away in the state Senate, and that's what we should really concentrate on now. Governor Strickland might want to make Thanksgiving dinner plans for Senate President Harris and Speaker Butish because they're in no hurry in the Senate to rush this thing through. Uh, John Kerry, the chairman of the Finance Committee, told me that maybe they'd vote by mid-November, and maybe they won't. They could separate the pay, rate, pay cut for legislators from the uh, postponement of the income tax cuts and bounce that back to the House and try to embarrass the Democrats there into voting for that without the delay in the income tax cut. They could do a number of things. Kerry even talked about trying to find one-time money. So I, I think the game is not over yet. And this, the Senate is, you know, the problem there is that the Republicans are not necessarily in agreement behind the scenes on what needs to happen here. There's a contingent that would like to see this done with cuts. Um, but how do you do that and how do you get creative on that and others who, who want to rejuvenate the some sort of slots idea? So Why did there two Republicans in the House vote? For Matt Dolan, uh, who was in line to be Speaker if the Republicans had gained the House this year, but he lost out in a leadership fight to Bill Batchelder, and he's kind of a pragmatist. He was head of the uh, Finance Committee when the Republicans were in charge, and I think he just got fed up with all the rhetoric. He said it's time to stop playing gotcha. He said what Strickland had proposed was not unreasonable. He told me he waited until the day of the vote to decide because he wanted to make sure the Democrats didn't put any sweeteners in it for their side. He said it was time to attack all the sacred cows, the Republican uh, adamant opposition to any tax postpo or cut, postponement or cut, and also the Democrats' kid glove treatment for public employee unions. Uh, Mr. McGregor is a businessman himself, and he looked at it hard, and he said, this is the appropriate thing to do, but we also have to make state government more efficient. Mark, what does the Republican Party do? Do they, they put these guys as outcasts, or is it just I don't conscience? think that's going to happen. I think there's some disagreement within the caucus about whether that should have been done, but I think you'll see that there will be some eventual compromise where you will see some more cuts because... There's always can be some more cuts. You know, I mean, the question is how much, 
and that there will probably will be a handful of Republican votes in the Senate that will go with a straight party line vote in the Senate, and the, the Governor Taft, I'm sorry, Governor Strickland will be able to get this tax hike, which is what it is. You think it will uh, be the Senate leaders again who also bailed the governor out on the budget itself? There were four or five of them in the leadership positions. They were the only ones who would vote for House Bill 1. I think whoever it is will be behind and be able to drive the, drive the boat on getting certain cuts made. I think the senators who step forward and suggest certain cuts will be able to, in return, offer this up and perhaps even make the window within which this tax hike is effective. The two-year. Yeah, make it more narrow, and they can argue that they actually improved on Governor Strickland's plan. And I think McGregor is setting himself up as being sort of what pragmatic, progressive on the Republican side in the House. He's somebody that I think the Democrats can go talk to, whether it's him coming out on something like this or him being a co-sponsor with Dan Stewart of HB 176, the anti-GLBT discrimination bill that passed. He's setting himself up as somebody who can broker between both sides of the aisle. Um, and the only other thing I want to add to that is I, I disagree with Mark. Rolling back a tax cut is not a tax increase. It costs a dollar a day. It costs a dollar tomorrow. That's not an increase. Well, th that's a good question. But if I were a Republican strategist like Mark, I would say nothing but that. Because if you look at the tax tables, the way they are now, and the way they would be if this bill, taxes will be higher. Well, they have to be, because if we're going to fill a budget hole, money won't magically come from the sky. It'll come from taxpayers, and under the Strickland plan, taxpayers will pay more next year, and that's a tax hike in anybody's book. And the but problem is they didn't do this until nine months into the calendar year. Our taxes have been withheld at this, this amount, and when we settle up early next year, we'll be paying at a higher rate. The tax commissioner correctly said that tax rates aren't final in Ohio until the end of the year, so that gives the people who say it's not a tax hike an argument, but I think you can make it mathematically either way, unfortunately. I think you're right. I think there were a lot of people who were putting their eggs in that slot machine basket and this, they thought, were hoping that this just wouldn't come up. Um, and I'm not sure, this is a great way to embarrass the governor, I think, in, in some ways. I'm kind of surprised that some of the people on the right didn't call their friends on the Supreme Court and try to get that decision to go the other direction. But, um, you know, people thought they weren't going to have to address this because they thought that maybe there was a magic bullet. Um, well, and the that magic, magic bullet's bullet not there. Well, the magic bullet was slots at the racetracks, which was a boneheaded idea to start with, to think you could cram this through a state that has voted down casinos four times without a vote of the people. And I think that the governor and his allies just made a bad bed for themselves to sleep in by trying to do this. Well, and I think that we saw as their testimony this week that I mean, some of the, the people you would think were Strickland's allies at this point are, are livid over this. Um, they wish that he had come to the decision on this tax issue long, long ago. And they're asking for actually more of a tax hike, more tax revenue, because the social service providers, they, th they, they think the education is getting sort of an unfair pass here. That Kids' gloves treatment for education. They're making, yeah, they're trying to make a point that, you know, education has now become this sacred cow, has now become the, pro you know, the number one priority. Nobody can touch it. Um, and in testimony, they said, listen, what, what does education get us if all the kids who come there are, are uh, tired and poor and sick and, and they can't learn? And I'm sympathetic to that. And, and trust me, I'd like to see social services restored and, and an increase in taxes wouldn't bother me. But 
I kind of look now at those people and go, really, what were you thinking when you heard Strickland run for the first time? I mean, we were sitting here a year ago or so, and Mark correctly pointed out that Strickland said he'd be failed governor if he didn't solve the issue of the schools. Did anybody really think that there wasn't going to be a special place for education um, in, in a Strickland administration? But did he solve the schools? The funding for this is years off. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, he said he would be a failed governor if he didn't solve school funding in particular. And for the next two years, schools will get less under Ted Strickland. Less state money. Well, that's right. But he certainly has not fixed school funding in the way he said in his friend of the court brief for the school funding case, it ought to be fixed. Okay. Let's get to our next topic. OSU football coach Jim Tressel has been known to say the most important play in football is the punt. This week, the state's chief law officer and the group responsible for attracting visitors to Columbus took the coach's advice. They punted and declined to take a position on the casino issue. Democrat Attorney General Richard Cordray says he'll stay neutral, as did Experience Columbus. Michael Daniels, first to Experience Columbus. This group is charged with bringing visitors to Columbus. Right. Why on earth would they not want a casino here? Um, because they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They, will a casino bring more visitors to Columbus? Yes. Are the people who actually pay the bills at Experience Columbus, the small business owners, the restaurant owners, the theater owners, those kinds of people who are already here, who are worried that if a casino comes in, people will go to that casino facility and stop dining at their restaurants or going to their theaters? Yes. So on the one hand, I want to bring more people to Columbus. On the other hand, do I really, really want to tick off everybody who keeps this organization running on a daily basis? I don't think they had any choice but to punt. I think that's right. That was not a surprise. What Richard Cordray <coughs> did took a lot of people by surprise. Richard Cordray is running for election next year, and he has none of the personal ethical problems that his compatriot Mark Dan had, but he does have this in common. They both were slippery on the gambling issue, and Cordray is trying to have it both ways. He knows that if he goes in favor one side, he makes a lot of other people angry on the other side. People expect him to come out and say what he thinks, and he's unusual in that regard that he's not done that. He claims he's not taking a position because of possible future your legal matters that he might have to rule on, and that's why he's if not If that were the case, he would not have endorsed issue one, the veterans' bonds issue, because if there's litigation about that, that would come to his office as well. So it's hard to take him at face value when he says that. He actually championed issue one. It's one of his um, his particular um, issues. and This is borrowing money to give veterans from right. the Vietnam War and forward. In, and in addition to that, his predecessors, while in office, have, have endorsed uh, issues or, or gone against them in the past, right? Jim Petro, Betty Montgomery. I think it's interesting that Columbus Group did what it did because business groups in the three other cities have gotten behind this casino plan. I think besides the small business owners that he cor correctly pointed out are against this, the power structure in yeah. Columbus is against this. The Columbus Dispatch, Nationwide Insurance, and I don't think uh, any group wants to antagonize those powerful interests either. Now, Experience Columbus stood to benefit. They stood to get some money, may still stand to get some money if it passes, from the casino developers. The promise is not to build a hotel that would compete with existing or either imminently planned hotels, and promises not to build another convention hall that would compete with hotels and the convention center. So they sweetened the deal, but they still wouldn't take a stand. I think the publicity over the fact they ha those promises had been made also jeopardized them coming out with a position because it wouldn't look good, would it, if, if everybody knows they got a letter promising them certain things and then they said, we, you know, we want this, and that just doesn't look and good. And I think Bill's got it right. I think that the, 
look, if you're, no matter what you do, if you're, if you're ever going to come out in support of any sort of gambling expansion in the state, you're going to go against the dispatch. The dispatch is never going to be on, on the correct side of that issue. But when it comes to going against Nationwide, who um, owns the arena that's right across the street, who I actually think may own the building that Experience Columbus is in, in one of its Nationwide it's Realty right. Investment Properties. Mm -hmm. um, and the casino is going to be literally right across the street from all of that, which also to me seems like a really weird place to put it. But I don't think Experience Columbus wanted to, if it was that issue, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with the dispatch in that part of the power structure. It was the business community power structure. Well, and there is a legitimate case to be made that a tourism entity <coughs> should be neutral on this because there are arguments on both sides that the casino would be a great thing and there are, if, you know, depending how you do the uh, economic uh, impact study, it also could be that you know, the clock restaurant and, uh, you know, all these other bars in the short north or the restaurants and, and as he says, the theater and so forth would be um, hurt by it. No, it's very early. At Pittsburgh, they built a casino near Heinz Field in the baseball park there, PNC Park, which is a comparable ish area to the arena district. It's thriving. It's been revitalized. And we talked to business, business owners there, and they said that it really had had much of an effect. If anything, it may have helped their business. It's only been open two months, so it's still very early, but the jury's still out on what impact it might have. The jury's not out on how much they're spending on this campaign. $32 million supporters are spending compared to, what, About five. $5 million for the opponents. Yeah, Same old think, story. Uh, and I think we're not at the end yet. $32 million was spent bet uh, between Dan Gilbert and Penn National Gaming. Penn last year spent, I think, a little less than $37 million on its own to defeat Issue 6. So I think we'll continue to see the wallets open as we go towards these last 10 days of the campaign. Well, and we saw both sides claim that their support was coming from people other than the gambling industry, and we found out that both sides, both the yes and the no side, are almost exclusively financed by them. And so next time you hear that from a spokesperson saying, oh, there's lots of different donors here, you'll know uh, that's just part of the routine. But there is a um, pattern that you don't have to spend as much, right, in order to, to defeat one of these issues because sure. the slightest bit of doubt uh, tends, to, tends to defeat it. But no side's easier. Why do they keep spending tens of millions of dollars? Because they think they can make tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. I think that that is true. If they get the... It's a lucrative business. Sounds like someone some needs to push away from the, the gambling table. But know? at some point it runs out. That's, that's the, you think they would know that so many states are turning to gambling oh, that yeah. the demand for people who want to gamble is being sliced up into the tiniest little fractions. It makes you wonder uh, how many people really want to spend that much time And gambling. I think this year is, I would think, the last real shot that they have at this. Um, this is the first time that I can remember that we've seen organized labor get behind uh, a casino issue. And if you can't get it passed this year with the support of organized labor, then I think um, I think this just becomes sort of a Susan Lucci issue. It shows up every year and it never wins. I thought just what Mark did, and I asked one of the casino operators, I said, don't you run out of people to come to these casinos? And he said, well, and this guy was trained as an accountant, and he said the surveys show that only, I'm going to throw a number out, 20% of the eligible people go now so we can get another 10%. <laughs> so there must be more people out there who they think they can entice to come there than, than I thought. Okay. Let's get to our third topic. The Ohio Supreme Court is trying to keep up with technology. It is trying to clarify an Ohio law designed to keep pornographic material and predators away from kids, a simple worthwhile goal. 
But advancing internet technologies make enforcing the law difficult. It's a crime to send pornography to kids through the mail or directly by email. But is it illegal if a kid gets pornography because he or she just happens to be on a distribution list designed for adults? Police say the law is clear. Free speech activists worry the law is too broad. Julie Carsmythe, Chief Justice Thomas Moyer says this is going to be a tough one. Why? I think it's tough because, uh, in a sense, the uh, it law that's in the law that's in uh, debate right now, which was before the Supreme Court this week, said that uh, says that the internet uh, they're trying to protect the internet uh, trans. Missions. However, there's no real um, there's no real way to allow these uh, uh, to uh, to make sure that a website does not have some sort of uh, well. The booksellers say that the books uh, or the magazines or the music that they sell would would come in and be looped in by that. So they think it's, it's too all encompassing and right. When they say that, they forget. They forget one key point. I've, I've been a prosecutor. I prosecuted child rapists and pet predators and pedophiles. This is a valuable tool to, to capture them because typically the first contact is made on the internet. And the notion that a prosecutor is going to indict some bookseller because there was a child accidentally on a distribution list doesn't understand what prosecutors want to do. Prosecutors have to convince a grand jury to do that, and then they have to convince a full jury in court to prosecute, and no prosecutor wants to do that. We need this tool because there are more predators out there than the law enforcement has the ability to get through traditional means. Now, they have successfully prosecuted and, and won in six states uh, and, and two federal laws on this, and the issue being that you know, these are too broad and you're trying to sweep in and affect the internet when in fact the internet is just like our communities and the world and therefore there should be uh, the ability for adult to adult conversation without having to so-called dumb it down to ever on every aspect to the level that children could see. And even if they were to clarify it this week or right now, this year, Five years from now, there's going to be a new technology out there that might muddy the waters again. How, how can they keep up? And that was the point that, that Moyer was making was that, you know, do we want to actually itemize these things or do we want to just sort of stand clear and make, sort of, uh, make a broader legal argument? Well, the way we keep up is prosecutors have to go to grand jurors and grand jurors know the technology and they either indict or they don't indict. There's no way we can write a law that will cover all the technology that's coming in the next few years and we ought not try. But we do need to give tools to prosecutors to be able to go after these folks. Literally, when we started doing stings against child predators, we didn't have the resources in the county where I was a prosecutor to continue because every time we went online, we'd get another pedophile trying to contact the child, and we simply didn't have enough detectives to arrest them all. Doesn't that put a lot of faith, too much faith perhaps, in prosecutors and grand juries? Because obviously there are many different types of prosecutors. There are many different types of grand juries who sit in different parts of the state, have different values. Isn't it better to have it clear? The grand juries are the people, and the pettit jury, the jury that's in the courtroom, is the people as well. And it's a, cross, it's a wide cross-section. And our system was founded on the notion that there's common sense to be found when you put average people in the jury box and let them make decisions. The argument of a group like, say, Amazon, is that I've got a, an Internet site and I'm posting material that's appropriate for adults, maybe provocative book cover or an excerpt from something, and that this goes uh, viral over the Internet by the time you have people commenting on it or reviewing it or sharing it, or, and that this has, is just needs to be, um, uh, this 
we shouldn't be trying to limit what children can see. Passwords and age verification software is pretty much useless. I mean, you just basically, it's an honor system. Well, that's one of the arguments, though, is that you can do, you can make this sort of a, uh, you can make this sort of a limit within your own household environment. You don't need to make it in the law um, so that it, that they will uh, proactively censor themselves in order to try to not get sued. What do you think the court's going to do? I've, I have read some of the pleadings in this case. I think they may strike it as being not narrowly tailored, uh, although I would rule the other way. My sense is they'll say that it should be written a little more precisely than it is now. Now, that's hard to do. Now, you've you got to send it back to the legislature, and they've got to figure that out. But this has been certified to them by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, the federal court, which is looking at this issue not just for Ohio, but for the surrounding states as and well. I think, I think Mark's right. I think they're going to they're gonna send it back and say it has to be defined a little more narrowly. There's, there's a very clear-cut line when you're doing some sort of one-on-one -on -one communication. If you're in a chat room communicating directly with someone or sending an email directly to someone, um, but the minute you open up for distribution lists and, and that sort of thing, then I think the courts are going to find that it just goes way too wide too fast. goes back to the beginning when you know it when you see it. Might be, that might be the case here. You know it's predatory when you see it's predatory, I guess. Same with obscenity. Our last topic, supporters of medical marijuana in Ohio and other states are heartened by the Federal Justice Department's recent ruling. Attorney General Eric Holder says the federal government will ease up on prosecuting patients using medical marijuana in states where it is legal to do so. Fourteen states have legalized it to treat pain and other conditions, but medical marijuana remains illegal here in Ohio. A poll last spring showed that 73% of Ohioans would support medical marijuana. Mark Weaver, Ohio lawmakers have toyed with this idea in the past. It's never gone anywhere. Do you see that ever going anywhere in the near future? I don't think it will. It's nobody's biggest priority. This is not the biggest problem in the world, but it's also not something we should jump on the bandwagon for. We do know that every drug addict, drug abuser started with marijuana, your heroin addicts, your cocaine addicts. It is a gateway drug in every sense of that, but it's also not the worst thing in the world that we should be worried about. We don't send people to jail for marijuana in Ohio. Most of it is a minor misdemeanor, which is as much as a $150 fine. So this notion of that we're cracking down on marijuana doesn't really happen. In California, of course, they now have have uh, people sitting in little stands by the side of the road that says the doctor is in and you stop by and I don't know if they've got a connection <coughs> with the phone and you get a little examination. You feel a little tense right now? Yeah, okay, here's your prescription. And it's become a bit of a ruse. I don't think Ohio lawmakers can do anything to change the current situation though. I think it's probably true, and I think that, that a lot of Republicans, it cracks me up a lot of times to hear people on the right worry about this because Federalists shouldn't care. Ohio doesn't have to pass it. California can. The federal government shouldn't be intervening. So, I mean, I think if, if you know, we get, we'll give medical marijuana and gay marriage, we'll go on the same level there. Just let it go state by state at this point and get the federal government out of it. However, you know, Michigan now um, has, is allowing medical marijuana, and this has really uh, heartened those who are lobbying our legislators to try to say, you know, this is going to become a competitive type issue or, a, you know, they, they did it there, why not here? Go ahead, Bill. I just agree with Mark. It's not going anywhere. It might get proposed. I think Bobby Hagan proposed it. Uh, he got beat in his race for Youngstown mayor. I don't know if it was on the marijuana issue, but I think uh, the support, there's no consensus for it, certainly, in the legislature, and I don't see the governor coming out for medical marijuana. Sur surprised that 73% in that poll, the Ohio poll from last May, I believe, 
approved it or didn't. No, I mean, people, it's a compassionate thing. If, if it were really true, and it's not, by the way, that the only way to stop serious pain from cancer is to smoke marijuana, everybody would be for it. There's all kind of medications, including Marinol, which is the, sus the subject that's in marijuana that could be given. People are compassionate, and they've been sold this bill of goods that, wow, there's these certain kind of patients that can only ease their pain with marijuana. My sense is people go, well, if that eases their pain, then let them have the marijuana. And the same poll found that 78% of Ohioans support lowering the drinking age from 21 to 18. We don't see that happening anytime soon either, probably. That would no. be a bad idea. Let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel, some final thoughts, some predictions for the weeks ahead. Bill Hershey, you're up first. Well, maybe we should start calling Ohio's Secretary of State Bow Wow Bruner. Jennifer Bruner clearly is the underdog in the race for the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate with Lee Fisher. And this week she made that point by posting a plea for money on her blog from her dog, Laney. Bruner will accept money from big dogs and underdogs, Laney barked. Woof, woof. <laughs> Julie, top that one. <laughs> um, I think you will see no uh, vote yet in the legislature on this tax issue. I think we'll see it go for quite some time uh, while they, they debate their options. Michael. I don't have anything profound, but I just want to hats off to Columbus City Auditor Hugh Dorian. He's been in office for 40 years. He's running unopposed. He'll win in a landslide. And he's still out on the campaign trail handing out pencils, telling people to sharpen them and, and learn their math skills. Um, so hats off to Hugh. All right. And Mark? By early spring, Ohio will have resolved its execution difficulties, found a way to do it, even for people who have difficult veins to access. And we will once again be doing justice to the killers on death row. My final thought is to all the Buckeye fans disheartened by last week's loss, even perhaps even disgusted by last week's loss, to just remember that the games are played by men, young men, who are 18, 19, and 20 years old. And, you know, give them a break once in a while. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. We urge you to check out our website. You can watch each week's show online thanks to our streaming video. And you can check out my blog. I promise to be more faithful and and updating it. And you can connect to us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page now. Just go to WOSU.org slash COTR. But I agree with Miley Cyrus. I shan't Twitter. That is our show for this week. For our panel here at WOSU at COSI and for our studio crew, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week. <laughs>